your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. White Missouri is the back in the backfield with Adrian. Hickman in motion to the near side. Snap back. Adrian gives it off to Missouri. He's got a first down. 10 Sports Nightly during the holidays is presented by the Woodhouse Auto Family. With over 6,000 new and pre-owned vehicles in stock, visit woodhouse.com to browse the entire inventory. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Ben McLaughlin and Nate Roar. Thursday night edition of Sports Nightly now on the air. Hopefully everybody had a wonderful Thursday. One more day for most of you head to the weekend. Pretty calm weekend at that with uh, with regards to football. Just the Army-Navy game on Saturday and your typical NFL slate on Sunday. I think the first batch of bowl games begin a week from tomorrow. I think that's Sounds the first right. one. Yeah, uh, I think there's two that day, uh, a week from Friday on the 20th. So uh, get your calendars adjusted accordingly. It's a relatively busy night in the sports world However, uh, tonight the College Football Awards show is underway. Joe Burrow already named the Walter Camp Offensive Player of the Year. No surprise there. He better make some room in whatever uh, trophy case shelf he's got available in in Baton Rouge because he's probably going to be collecting a few of these things this week i would imagine yeah i gotta think his family is gonna stop by the ikea closest to them or somewhere to get some shelves because he's gonna be bringing home a bucket load of hardware in the next week or so including the biggest trophy of them all this is kind of a a cool night you know to kind of see uh, obviously big stars like joe burrow justin fields chase young Isaiah Simmons, I mean, names that we've all heard in college football. But it's also uh, a nice time to recognize players that, you know, maybe don't get the same headlines that had turned out just as good of years. And, um, you know, guys that, uh, you know, for those looking for other rooting interests in terms of bowl games or, you know, players to watch for a nice little a nice little uh, sneak peek on on potentially draft too, for that matter, guys that. You know, aren't aren't maybe playing for LSU or Oklahoma or Alabama or Ohio State, but still will be looked at uh, on on Sundays. So cool night for the college football awards. I I kind of like I kind of like seeing how how you know all of those guys coming together, and of course hosted by Chris Fowler. But to see the the recognition and some of the most prestigious awards come out and yeah, settles everything except the Heisman Trophy so you know it, it usually confirms what we already know that a bunch of LSU guys are going to get awards a bunch of Ohio State guys are going to get awards but like you said it this show especially with the proliferation of position trophies you think of the Remington Trophy uh, the Mackey Award for tight ends the Lou Groza you learn about some of those positions that you wouldn't have otherwise really thought about if not for this show the Davy O'Brien Award just handed out to the best quarterback and how about the three finalists I know this has been talked about a lot but they just showed a, a side-by-side of all three of those guys Joe Burrow Jalen Hurts and Justin Fields and, and the amazing thing is and we're going to talk to Teddy Greenstein uh, a little later on in the show but uh, I, I feel like Teddy put out a, a good tweet 
uh, about the preseason odds to win the Heisman, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Jalen Hurts was on there, and Justin Fields was on there. And I remember not all that long ago, Nate, and, and you know, we're heading to media days, and we're trying to figure out this Justin Fields thing. How, no. how, how would this work? You know, you got a new coach in Ryan Day. There, were, there was a, a pretty good amount of hype for this young man, and, and he hadn't played it down yet in yeah. Columbus. And I remember just not necessarily – saying that that wasn't going to happen, but I wasn't so quick to just say that this guy was going to be all world. And and the amazing thing is, here we sit on December the whatever, 12th, and Justin Fields had 40 touchdowns, 10 rushing touchdowns, one interception, ran the table, won the Big Ten championship, and isn't going to win the Heisman. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> you, you you turn in that sort of year for a first-year head coach, and you're not a Heisman Trophy winner. That's, that, that's the tough bracket you're in. And at the school where the guy who is going to be the Heisman Trophy winner started his career, yeah. which is pretty incredible. But uh, uh, the talent that has run through Ohio State in the recent years uh, just goes to show how big a, a hurdle – the the rest of the Big Ten, including Nebraska, faces because, you know, guys that can't get a starting job at Ohio State are still going on to great success at other institutions around the country. Yeah, it's, it's truly amazing to see this all come full circle. And, of course, Jalen Hurts, you know, one of just the next Oklahoma quarterbacks that have come in and, and done major damage, you know, in a, in a Lincoln-Riley offense – um, doesn't look like it's going to be three straight um, Heisman winners for Oklahoma. It's, it's going to go to Joe Burrow in, in Louisiana uh, at LSU. But, I mean, it, it, that's incredible in itself as well, you know, to just literally plug and chug guys into a system and have these guys sit in New York year after year. Yeah, and just the fact that they were able to get Hurts to New York is is pretty notable. And now it's kind of a self-perpetuating uh, cycle that a guy, especially somebody who's a high-talent player, will look at an Oklahoma and go, I'll go there. I'll go there, be a part of that great offense. Obviously, Lincoln Riley knows what he's doing. And so I'll go there, have a ton of success in my one shot as a starting quarterback. Maybe I don't win the Heisman, but I at least get a trip to New York City out of the deal, and I'll probably have a good amount of success. Yeah, so to kind of bring this back to Nebraska, uh, Wandale Robinson named a freshman All-American today, and that's no surprise and would have been, in my opinion, a unanimous first-teamer had he been healthy all year. He did miss a, a handful of games, and – I think that that took the uh, Big Ten freshman of the year away from him as well uh, with uh, with Bell getting it from Purdue. But I, I long for the days that there are Huskers back at these. Oh, you yeah. know, where where Indomitian Sue's sitting there and Levante David's sitting there and, you know, to have that presence. I know there's been a number of Big Ten athletes at these awards in recent years, even guys in the Big Ten West uh, division. But it's been pretty quiet for for some time to have some Huskers there, and and you know right now the the coaches are out trying to recruit players that could hopefully sit in these seats someday. And you know you mentioned Wandale Robinson. If you were if you were laying odds as to who who may be the next guy that goes to this college football award show from Nebraska, 
I think Wandale Robinson's toward the top of that list, although, you know, you think about it, and if we had this conversation 365 days ago, I think we would have said, well, Adrian Martinez would be that guy. And it just goes to show how tough it is to predict and how tough it is to have that guy come to your school and be great for four years. So a lot of work for this program to do. And and like you say, hopefully that guy is, if not on campus, about to get on campus for Nebraska. Coming up on the show tonight, we will get a recruiting update. Greg Smith, Hale Varsity, is one of the guys that uh, is working on this stuff, the updates, the visits, the in-home visits, the offers, uh, talking with high school coaches, uh, families of these recruits. We'll get a full update from Greg Smith on what's been happening um, in the world of Husker football recruiting really in the last 24 hours, but even more so hopefully what's to come in the next week. So we'll get a full recruiting update here coming up in the first hour. Coming up in hour two of the program, we'll talk some Husker hoops with Nebraska basketball play-by, or excuse me, color commentary voice and Jake Muehlheisen. They are up in Bloomington right now. Husker hoops is probably on the floor practicing as we speak as they begin Big Ten play tomorrow with the Indiana Hoosiers at Assembly Hall. Really tough place to play. But we'll talk to Jake about how the team has rebounded, responded from the loss to Creighton and uh, getting themselves ready for Big Ten Conference play. We do have a big NFL game tonight as well. The Baltimore Ravens and the New York Jets will play on Thursday. The Ravens, one of the hottest stories. The Lamar Jackson, the hottest story in the National Football League right now. So with no show tomorrow due to Husker basketball, uh, Ian Rappaport, the NFL Network, will stop by on an atypical night here on a Thursday and not a Friday. But it's been a month since we chatted with Ian. We'll get him on tonight as well talking NFL as I mentioned before, it is the typical night for Teddy Greenstein of the Chicago Tribune. We'll talk to Teddy about uh, the Heisman candidates, who's there, who's not there, some of these bull matchups, and really what he's looking forward to this bull season in regards to the Big Ten Conference. And Husker Volleyball comes your way tomorrow, taking on Hawaii from Madison, the Fieldhouse on the campus of Wisconsin. If the Huskers can get by Hawaii, they will most likely play uh, homeschool Wisconsin, the number four national seed, and a team that has beat Nebraska twice. And in those two matches, six sets to love. So the Huskers would love another crack at the Badgers. Uh, but first, tomorrow, Hawaii. And so Lauren Cook West will stop by and we'll get an update from her on what she saw last week in the Huskers' two victories to the Sweet 16, but what they'll need to do better here this weekend. If you want to be a part of the show, lines are open for you as always 866 Husker 1. 866-487-5371. That's our Woodhouse Auto Family Hotline, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Let's go to the phones and welcome on first call tonight. We go up to Norfolk and talk to Brian. Hey, Brian. Hey, guys. Um, I got two questions for you. One, um, I want to see if you thought Jonathan Taylor not being invited to New York is considered a snub on your guys' end. And then the second question I had, uh, the Davis boys, have you heard, are they going to be doing uh, the uh, outdoor track season this year or the indoor track, whatever it is, here in the winter months? Or are they probably probably done with their track since they're seniors and focusing on uh, NFL draft? Sure. I'll uh, let you go from there. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Um, I'll address the uh, the first issue first with Jonathan Taylor. Look, Jonathan Taylor's an unbelievable football player. And the career numbers that he put up, eye-popping, the amount of carries he has, touchdowns, yards, 
Uh, it's pretty insane what that guy has done. That being said, there were three great running backs in college football this year that I felt were all deserving of a seat. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, of course, who we just talked about. Chuba Hubbard from Oklahoma State played one less game, did not have a conference championship game, but even still, his 12 games to Taylor's 13, numbers are nearly identical. Mm. Same rushing touchdowns within 50 yards of each other here and there. You know, even in terms of carries, I think they're they're right there too. So, you know, Chuba Hubbard from Oklahoma State, more than deserving of a seat. And another guy's J.K. Dobbins, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Justin Fields is going to get a lot of the, the notoriety because he's running the show. But I wonder where Ohio State's offense is without J.K. Dobbins. And he's he is not far behind, in terms of statistics, Chuba and J.T. So I thought all three of those running backs would have a shot. To me, it would be... Those two, Jonathan Taylor and Chuba Hubbard, probably slightly ahead of Dobbins, but not enough for me to say one's more deserving of a seat than another. Yeah, I'm not troubled by Jonathan Taylor getting getting left left home. I mean, part of the Heisman Trophy, right or wrong, is sort of the most valuable player thing. You know, your team has to have a good year for you to be a part of the Heisman Trophy conversation. And Wisconsin had a good year but they didn't have a great year. And so you look at, you know, Joe Burrow has led LSU to an undefeated season while putting up huge offensive numbers. I mean, and the same is true for for Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma, one loss season there. And, and, uh, you know, if you are a part of the national championship race, uh, that's sort of a prerequisite to be a part of the the Heisman Trophy conversation unless nobody – on a national championship contender has that one signature player. Uh, so it's, it's, I thought it was going to be tough for Taylor to get enough votes to, to go to New York city. It wouldn't have been wrong if he got sent, but at the same time, realistically it it was going to be a tough fight for him to win the Heisman this year no question and and Brian to your other point on the Davis twins I can't say with a hundred percent certainty but I am fairly confident saying that their um, competition at Nebraska and track and everything else is over I, I I would be more than confident in saying that all of their attention now is going to be put in the NFL uh, I think the size of those guys are going to be a big concern for mm-hmm. Uh, coaches at the next level but something that's not going to be a concern is their athleticism and their motor I mean these guys are high motor high energy very emotional players sometimes you know to a fault Mm -hmm. sometimes over the line but in terms of just athleticism and the way that those guys can move they're going to be attractive enough to get a look and I think they're going to be under the microscope when it comes to the scoring the testing and and how they interview you know all that stuff's going to be very important with them you mentioned their size being a, an issue and leading up to the draft and leading up to the pro days and all of that, that might be one thing that they're working on. Mm-hmm. It, it almost certainly is. And that's another reason to keep them out of track, the idea that they could put on, by focusing on putting on muscle, they can more effectively get up to a size that would attract NFL attention and then from there hopefully improve their chances of going pro but yeah their whole focus i would think would be on getting to the pros no question about it good questions o'brien appreciate you dialing us up here tonight 
off and rolling on a Thursday night. Show's just underway. Just had a nice chat about the three running backs that were probably in the conversation of an invitation to New York. Chuba Hubbard, Jonathan Taylor, and J.K. Dobbins. They just handed out the Doak Walker Award that goes to the best running back, and it was given to Jonathan Taylor yet again for Wisconsin. Let's welcome on our first guest of the program, Greg Smith, Hale Varsity. Very, very busy time of the year for those recruiting folks, those brave recruiting folks. Greg is one of them. Greg, are you a, are you a soda guy, coffee? What's your what's your caffeine of choice to keep you going? Uh, coffee is, is definitely the, the choice at this time of year. Cup in the morning and a cup in the afternoon to keep it rolling. So <laughs> that, that's definitely the plan. Well, you've probably been on the phone and on the internet a ton today. Uh, let's just let's start with where the coaches are at right now, and and really what the the last push they're going to make here before the before the weekend. Yeah, so it looks like today um, was a Florida day, at least for Frost. Um, it's kind of the big one to track. Um, it's used down in South Florida today. You know, there's a number of targets um, down in that region and a, a couple of commitments as well. Um, Ronald Delancey, the cornerback from Miami Northwestern, is down there. But then his teammate, uh, Jane Francois, four-star defensive back, is also there as well. Um, I believe Frost went in home with him and, and also with Delancey, his current commit, to make sure that they're okay. Um, and then you got Eric Hernandez is out in California. He's going to be seeing four-star defensive back target Darian Green Warren tonight. Um, I think that Tony Tuioti is out on the East Coast, I believe. I know Ryan Held was uh, in, in Oklahoma yesterday and part of today. Um, so everybody's kind of spread out. Um, and you had to have some guys come back. I think Troy Walters was back in town for a little bit. They had a, four, or a four-star prep-wide receiver, Alante Brown, that was in town for an official visit. So he spent some time with him as well back in Lincoln. Obviously, Florida is becoming important and has been important to the staff, but especially now with some movement of the coaches down in that area. Uh, when you when you when you talk about these type of athletes right now, specifically the ones that that we're seeing in home visits to, I know Delancey originally a Louisville commit has been committed to the Huskers for a while. How much of these guys have have garnered a lot more interest? lately greg maybe since some coaching movement and and other coaching departures at at certain schools yeah a lot of them and and it's kind of a a weird juggling act um because the first domino is that that coaching change down in Florida so that with those schools, um, but then maybe if, if you're a kid that's also considering Louisville, because like Louisville um, had been a team, or not Louisville, but there's other schools that have had um, other coaching changes as well, and it just gets tough um, to where you're trying to figure out, do you need to get to know a new staff, like say at Missouri, or do you stay with the school that you have? Um, Florida State, for example, Nebraska is in a number of battles with trying to get their former commits up to Lincoln. I think they will get one of them up to Lincoln this weekend, Keisha John Green, um, instead of him going back to Florida State to check them out again. Um, so there's always an increased interest, and, in, you know, everybody likes to recruit Florida. Um, there's a good reason for that. There's a lot of talent down in that state. A lot of teams can power their programs with those players. Uh, so it's extremely competitive down there. Oregon is another team that has had some bad luck. This is rumors of, of losing a, up to three, four stars, and one of them has some interest in Nebraska. What can you tell us about the situation at Oregon and how the Huskers could potentially benefit from it? 
Yeah, it's really interesting what's happening in Oregon because I feel like Oregon is one of those schools that always has to kind of stave off decommitment to late. Um, and I just think that they're a school that once you get out there to Eugene, I don't know if, you, if you've had a chance to go, go out there, like it's a really nice place, right? Um, and they've got great facilities, but sometimes you, you get out there and then you come home and you realize it's just a little further away um, than you really want to be. And I think that that happens to them a lot. Um, and Nebraska is definitely looking to benefit there from that particular situation with Forsyth defensive back Miles Flusher, um, who's down just outside of Tulsa, Oklahoma, down in Broken Arrow, um, where the whole coach of a lot of the coaching staff was yesterday. I think Coach Held, Coach Janander, and Coach Fisher went in home with him yesterday. And then after they went in home, Coach Frost came in later that afternoon and, and spent uh, some time with him and his family. Um, Nebraska has had him on campus for an official visit and an unofficial visit this season uh, to separate games. Um, so I think Nebraska is, is in striking distance there, but UCLA is also lurking. Um, we'll have to see if Nebraska can finish the deal because he's also very close friends with Sevian Morris and Nebraska's running back commit as well. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that for sure. And it seems all, obviously with the commit yesterday that the Huskers are, are still have a, have a pretty big focus, particularly in the front seven of the defense. When you start to label the targets and number the targets for the Huskers, specifically up front, and, and maybe on the outside edge for the, for the Husker pass rush. What are you seeing right now in terms of potential numbers and, and who may be close to pulling the trigger before that signing period? Yeah, I think that, yeah, you're right that the front seven has definitely been a focus, and I think it'll be a focus again this weekend. Um, and you have a number of guys that are close, I think, to committing to Nebraska, especially um, from the junior college ranks on that defensive line. The big question is on defensive line is how many more players are they looking to take? Um, they already have Nash Hubmacher and Marquise Black in the class. It would make sense to add one more Juco guy, uh, whether it's Julius Coates, who visited for the Iowa game, uh, Jordan Riley, Feldarius Payne, both all of those JUCO guys, um, the last two that visited for the first weekend of the off season as well. You got other couple of kids that are looking to take it all the way to February as well. Um, and then that outside linebacker group is really interesting because Jamari Butler is a kid that I think is a Husker lean at this time. Um, he just he came to Nebraska as a Tennessee commit, left uncommitted, um, has a visit to TCU this weekend. Caden Johnson is a guy we've talked about a lot all mm-hmm. season. Uh, the four star out of Minnesota, Keyshawn Green, um, should, like I mentioned before, should be here this weekend as well so there's still targets there at that linebacker core um they just got to close them down and hope that those guys maybe announce before the early signing day um so you can get them in the boat early yeah definitely an area of need for the big red and purposely save this spot for last wide receiver omar manning is the hot name but what can you tell us at, at receiver particularly the bigger body guys that these coaches have identified and you think at least have uh i would say a warm to a moderately hot uh interest in the big red I laugh because as soon as you said wide receiver, I knew you were going to go Omar Manning. I feel mm-hmm. like Omar has become the most talked about guy um, in this cycle, um, and for good reason. He's a really good player. Um, I think that there's a chance that Scott Frost goes to see him early tomorrow to kind of check the temperature there to see how things are going, uh, to see if there's still a chance that he could sign in December or grade issues will cause him to sign in February, or if the other schools that are trying to get involved can get him to sign in February. Um, I think Nebraska has still been in a good position 
been with him, and he's liked Nebraska this entire time. Um, but Nebraska has to find a way to get his signature. Um, Justin Robinson is another kid that Nebraska likes a lot. Georgia commit six four two hundred that came out um, for a visit earlier this season. They've been in heavy contact with him, um, and those two are really the ones for the bigger body receivers. And there's another kid, Marcus Fleming, down in Florida in Miami, who I believe Frost saw today as well. Um, that I really think Nebraska has a really good shot at end up landing. Um, he's about five ten, so he's not that bigger wide receiver, but he also might be the fastest kid in the state of Florida um, and ran a 10-6-3, 100-meter, the fastest in Florida. So I think that you'll take that if you're going to take a smaller receiver as well. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, talk to me a little bit about Robinson. This is an interesting prospect. Did a little digging on him yesterday. What's kind of his story? Obviously, you know, when you hear Georgia commit, you, you assume it's it's done. You know, you get a program like that and you make a commitment. What's his story and what's Nebraska doing to, to maybe keep his mind open? Yeah, there's two big things working um, for the, for Nebraska's favor with Justin Robinson. One, I think that Nebraska did a great job with his family on his official visit when he came out. Um, and part of that is, is sometimes people want to get their kids away from the situation that they're already in, um, to have them experience something new, to get them in a different environment. I think that that was working in Nebraska's favor. Um, but also the early playing time, um, the past early playing time, because Nebraska doesn't have a wide receiver like him on the roster, really helps. The thing that really kind of hurt here down the stretch with his recruitment though is that Georgia is not in a dissimilar all that dissimilar situation when it comes to wide receiver numbers in Nebraska is they've had some attrition, had some injuries, maybe lose a guy to the NFL and boom you're looking at hey maybe he's got a path of playing time there as well. Um, I think that was going to go down to the 11th hour and we're going to see what happens um, but Nebraska is definitely trying not to go down without a fight. Is he a is he going to sign in December or is he guys you think is going to hold out to February? I think he ends up signing in December. Okay. Um, we'll see what happens, but I think he signs in December. Okay, Greg, and, and now obviously let's stick on that track. Some news today of of bets out of Bellevue West maybe holding off till February. It seems like, like maybe there are still going to be a fair amount of big targets on the board stretching this thing out to February. Is this is this a good thing for Nebraska in some cases as a whole, or is this you know is this going to get more and more competitive with, with more schools getting in once the first deadline passes? Um, it, uh, in some situations, it'll be more difficult. In the bets one, I don't figure it won't be. Like I think the bets thing is more about making sure all the the, dot, the, the I's are dotted and T's are crossed um, to make sure that his grade situation is right. I'm told that he's making progress in that in that arena, um, and that there's optimism that he's going to make it academically. I think, but you can't have him sign in February just in case because then if he doesn't make it, it still counts against your numbers. So I don't think that it, the other schools aren't a uh, worry there. Um, in other cases, though, would say defense of linemen out in California like Lucy Milani, Tui Tuo, Puhu, um, those two guys, um, you're going to see a lot more increased competition for them. Um, and so you want everyone that Nebraska is kind of counting on as a big-time target right now, um, you want them to sign in December because we've seen over the last couple of years guys' recruitments blow up once we get through this December signing period because guys, just, teams just don't have as many spots and they really go hard after guys. And Greg, before you know, we we close the door on this recruiting cycle. There's a third portion of the calendar now, which is the transfer portal, and and I'm going to call it a waiver wire, pretty much. You know, where where coaches can go, add a Conavinoa, add a Darian Daniels to, to to try and help right away. How many spots do you anticipate this coaching staff keeping open for potential transfers? 
I'm thinking three um, would be the number right now. I think that they'll want to sign 23 traditional recruits at 15 right now um, and then save three or so spots for transfers. Um, and it feels like every day um, now there's a, another handful or so guys that are coming into the portal. Um, so the opportunity will definitely be there. And Nebraska definitely has, has their eye on that. Um, and I think that that might be another spot that you look to um, to add another bigger body wide receiver as well um, that, that could fill that void too. All right, Greg, before we cut you loose, um, I, I have noticed a fair amount of, of 21 offers going out. How, how, how are these coaches using this opportunity to travel to all these different places and states to throw out offers and try and work ahead for next year? Yeah, that, that's one of the really interesting parts about this because there have not because there haven't been a lot of new twenty offers that lead you to believe they feel pretty good about some of their targets. Plus, they're starting to work ahead on that twenty one group. Um, and you know, when you go out and you see these different high schools, um, especially particularly in the South, the, you know, guys are continuing to grow, continuing to get better. New film comes out, um, get different evaluations, and now they're offer guys. Um, and Nebraska has done a good job of doing that. Um, and I think as we turn the page to twenty one, we're going to talk about how well Nebraska has worked ahead and how many of these guys they've actually gotten on campus already um, at least one time and a lot of cases multiple times. Nebraska done a really nice job of that especially with the guys in the region because the region is very good for 2021. No question about it. Well Greg you're on the home stretch. Keep it going man. You guys are doing such great work keeping up on all this stuff and I know fans are, are sharks this time of year trying to gobble up as much information as they can. Keep it going man. We really appreciate you carving out a few minutes and best of luck until signing period next week. Thanks a lot. Hey, thanks, Ben. I appreciate it, man. You have a good night. You do the same. Greg Smith, Hale Varsity with us here uh, on Sports Nightly. Man, I don't know how those guys do it. They're just keeping track of, of where, where planes are going, what kids are getting yeah. seen, what offers are going out, uh, you know, how this offer is tempting, tempting this kid. It, it's, it's an insane process and gives me a headache just thinking about it. You think of how, to, how do they even keep their cell phones charged huh. up as active as they are this time of year? It, that in and of itself has to be a battle. Yeah, well, so at least there's social media now to kind of he, help things along a little bit and, uh, and hope that information helps that information spread a little kicker really appreciate greg smith for joining us here on sports nightly welcome back sports nightly on the husker sports network on a thursday night happy to welcome into the program now color analyst for nebraska basketball jake muleheisen as the team is in indiana jake how's bloomington treating you so far bloomington's great we got here extra early today and uh so it's trying to take in the town a little bit and, and get ready for tomorrow. Well, where are you, where are you at, man? I mean, uh, Creighton was just a debacle, and you, you've been around the team a little bit since. Where are you kind of at after what happened last weekend? Yeah, Creighton game was tough, obviously, and, and that was, in my opinion, a perfect storm where we weren't hitting shots early, uh, obviously, and that just keyed their transition, which is their strength, and they were getting out in transition and making everything, and that didn't allow us to get out in transition, which is our strength, so... Uh, just a bad start for us uh, on Saturday in Omaha, but hopefully those guys can can learn from it and, and uh, can bounce back. Uh, I think they had a couple of good days of practice uh, in between uh, Saturday and, and tomorrow's game. So hopefully they're ready to play, learn some things, and, and uh, get their minds right and ready to play tomorrow. How would you assess the chemistry at this point heading into conference play? You know, I think I think the the, the chemistry is actually pretty good. I think the guys like each other. I think they're they're are trying to play for one another, but they're still learning um, each other's roles and, and, and how the how the formula works so they can best win. And, I mean, if we're not getting downhill and getting in transition, we're, we're struggling in the half court a little bit, but 
when you have guys make shots. I mean, you look at the Georgia Tech game, I thought we executed well in that game. We played hard. But we just didn't make shots. So guys guys need to step up and when they're open they just need to shoot with some confidence and, and knock some shots down. That's the same from the from the free throw line as well, where you get up there, stop thinking so much and, and just let it fly. Coach Hoiberg used two timeouts in about a thirty second span of that Creighton game just to uh you know, kind of right the ship and drive the point home. Just obviously not happy with the execution and maybe just listening in the timeouts. How how would you kind of evaluate how the coaches have handled this rough start? I think I think they're handling it well. I think they're they're learning on the fly as well with with who does what and and each and how to how to coach to each player's strengths. And you know, the, the double timeout there. I think I think the most frustrating thing was, and I don't know exactly what happened, but it looked to me that. You know, Coach Hoiberg grew up a, a play uh, on the offensive end. We didn't run it how he wanted it to be ran. We turned it over, and then Creighton comes down and gets a layup, and we don't get back in transition, so he calls his second timeout. So that's just frustrating for coaches when they have a game plan, you know, on both sides of the floor when guys just don't go out and execute. So I think they're learning on what guys do well on, on both ends of the floor and trying to coach to, to each player's strength. And, um, but so far, I think they've, they've done a good job rebounding is always something that's going to be focused on with this team, a huge point of emphasis and, and, and honestly probably could determine wins and losses in, on some nights in, in the big 10. Where, where is Nebraska at right now on that and what type of improvement or at least, you know, uh, focus and, 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 and attention has been put on that area? Oh, I mean, a hundred percent. I mean, re, I think rebounding will be the, the theme of the year you just go back and you look at the, the Georgia Tech game. Well, we actually rebounded the ball really well, and we had some chances to, to make some shots. But in the Creighton game, was just got out of hand so quickly that you know we didn't even talk about rebounding. But I think that's been an emphasis all season long with our with our size on our front line, and our guards have to really make a conscious effort to rebound. But it comes down to when you're when you're on defense, it comes down to just being focused in, and, and when a shot goes up. You can't turn and watch. You got to go find the guy, whether it's your guy or not. You got to go find the guy, put a body on him, and, and, and try to get the rebound. Because when we rebound defensively, and we get in transition, you know, we saw that in the in the South Florida game in the Cayman Islands, where we when we rebounded the, the basketball, we got out and ran, and we're you know we had four guys, sometimes five on the floor, that in transition we're hard to guard. They can finish at the rim, and we just got to make a, a, an extra you know focused, conscious effort to rebound. And when we do that, we can be pretty good. When you look at uh, the makeup of what a Fred Hoiberg team should look at, should look like, right? Athleticism, ability to shoot, uh, maybe flashy at times, speed. You know, there there are a lot of qualities in a player that he looks for. Maybe a player that that doesn't have a lot of those, but will bust his butt, listens, he's trustworthy, he's in the right spots. Is Thor? I mean, it, he's got to be a guy that's knocking on the door of playing twenty twenty five minutes a game, doesn't he? Oh, for sure, and and I think Coach Hoiberg uh, talked about it after the after the Creighton game, even the Georgia Tech game, where you know Thor is always in the right spot uh, on both ends of the floor, defensively, uh, off the ball defense, he's in the correct help position on the ball defense. You know who he knows who he's guarding personnel wise, offensively. You know he's making plays for for his teammates. He's always uh, one of the guys that makes really good back cuts when guys are are, are, are penetrating off the dribble. So he's a guy that I think you'll see play more because you're right. He's not the most athletic guy around or the the, the typical you know quote unquote Coach Hoiberg guy, but you know he's proven that he's worked on his shot uh, from the perimeter over the off season. He's knocking him down. 
um, at a good percentage. So I think he'll, I think he'll see some more minutes, and and he, I think he deserves them. I think he's doing everything the coaches have asked him to do, and he's playing. And and the other thing, he plays hard. You know, he always gives that consistent effort. So I think you'll see him play a little bit more here probably tomorrow, and, and moving on into Big Ten play. Hostile atmosphere, Assembly Hall, always difficult to go to go play there. Tons of talent. What do you see when you see this Indiana team? What type of challenges is Nebraska going to have in front of them? Yeah, I mean, Assembly Hall is awesome. And it's it's uh, one of the best college atmospheres, you know, in the country. They'll have, they'll have, have 16,000, 17,000 people there tomorrow night for Big Ten opener on a Friday night here in Bloomington. So we have to be ready to play. And, uh, you know, the, the, what I've found interesting with the Indiana team, they, they're playing 10, 11 guys, which is really interesting because it's hard to get in a rhythm as a player when you're playing that many guys, but they're, they're athletic, uh, they'll guard. Um, they're not, they're not uh, going to be as, as good a perimeter shooters as we saw on Saturday with Creighton with their three guards, but they can, they can really crash the offensive, offensive glass. We have, to, we have to, like we talked about earlier, go and, and find a body, make an effort to, to, to block out and get out in transition. Um, Indiana's proven that sometimes that they can fall asleep a little bit on defense, so if we can take advantage of that, get in transition, get some easy ones early, take the crowd out of it, then we can try to hang around there and try to win the ball game. Should be interesting to see. Uh, this is a really tough uh, stretch, tough weekend in terms of just time and how this this turnaround is going to happen. Obviously, all the focus on IU right now. You guys are going to get back late tomorrow night. You got a, a one brief day off on Saturday and, and, a, and an afternoon game against Purdue. How do you anticipate, you know, the turnaround following a, however the result comes out in Bloomington? Yeah, I think you know we'll get home late tomorrow, and I think I think. You know, however the game turns out tomorrow, we'll 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 get home and try to regroup. But I don't know when our last home game was. It's really it's been almost a month. So I think these guys will be excited to, to play at home on a Sunday afternoon. You know, we'll have a good crowd there um, with Purdue coming to town. So it'll be a, it'll be a, a great atmosphere for these guys coming home. So I think they'll be able to be really ready to play, and they'll feed off the energy of the crowd. And it's just another opportunity to win a to win a game that. Uh, against a really quality opponent, you know the Big Ten. If you're when you're watching these games here so far with the, the Big Ten slate starting already, you know Big Ten teams are tough from top to bottom. It might be the best it's been in you know probably five to seven years from top to bottom. And so it's ready to play. I think these guys will bounce back, and hopefully we can get a win tomorrow night, and then uh, and then try to go swing away on on Sunday. Well, I've been on uh, a handful of road trips with KP. Are you going to be able to prime out of his room? You guys got big dinner plans, or or is he ditching you? <laughs> You know he's probably in there making his little uh, his little player board uh, and, and highlighting everything with all the different colors that he's got and using his tape. Um, so I don't I doubt I can pry him out of his room tonight. Then you know that. Yeah. Well, uh, do me a favor, and when you see him uh, next, ask him if he packed his violin. Okay, I will. De- I will definitely ask him that. <laughs> oh boy. Well, Jake, appreciate you jumping on, man. Go enjoy your night in Bloomington. Hopefully, come back with a W. Thanks, buddy. Sounds good. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, thank you, Jake Muleheisen, color analyst for Nebraska basketball, joining us here on Sports Nightly. Normally we talk to our next guest on Friday, but figured we'd bump him up a day and re-catch up with Ian Rappaport, the NFL Network and NFL.com. Ian, it's been about a month, man. How things been going? <laughs> uh, I've been good. Um, a lot has happened. A very, very lot has happened. It's been enough to keep me busy, but obviously – 
you know, as you know, I've missed you guys. Yeah, well, very good. Uh, the feeling's mutual. It's it's hard to, to get everything we want to talk about within a week, so we're going to try and catch up on a month here in about nine minutes. So we'll do the, we'll do the best right. that we can. Let's start first with, obviously, the biggest story that's been happening since we've talked to you last. That is Lamar Jackson, just opening eyes, playing just tremendous football, getting the Ravens in the conversation to, to be the, the, the one seed and home field throughout the playoffs. Um, obviously, questionable to night against the Jets. Let's just start first with what he's done to the landscape of the NFL in the last month, month and a half. You know, it's really interesting for me. I got two small boys, a five-year-old and a six-year-old. And, you know, they, they watch football and they kind of enjoy it, but not, you know, not really. They don't have a team yet. They just kind of sit and watch with me some. And I'm getting them football jerseys for the holidays. And I said, hey, I'm just curious, which football jerseys do you guys want? What teams? And they both said Lamar Jackson. Oh, my gosh. And that, and the only reason is because they love watching him. And I'm like, I get it, <laughs> you know, because you just never quite know where this kind of thing is going to come from. And um, I remember Mahomes last year, you know, we sort of knew he would be pretty good. Um, but I don't know that, you know, we sort of knew Lamar Jackson would just erupt onto the scene. I mean, the closest I came – actually knowing that he was going to be a star was when I was at Ravens camp this year and their defensive coordinator, Wink Martindale mentioned to me how good he was and then stopped me to make sure I listened that Lamar Jackson is excellent. And I was like, okay, wow, he's serious about this, but everything else, I mean, he has become one of the biggest stars in the game in a very short amount of time. How much does he fit what they want to do in Baltimore? How much has Baltimore had to adapt to implement his style of what they can be. Is, is it a good marriage or is, is are the coaches, coaching staff on Baltimore, are they having to, to learn and come up with different ways to use him? It's actually more than that. I mean, what they did was they literally created their entire football side of their operation around Lamar Jackson. Like everything they've done from drafting Hollywood Brown in the first round to um, basically clear out the box and make sure that Jackson has room to run, to signing Mark Ingram, um, to the offensive linemen that they, they start. I mean, everything has been done to make sure Lamar Jackson and their offense work. And I cannot remember um, a single team dedicating so much to one style of play and doing it so perfectly. Like, what they've done has just been amazing, and I respect it so much, mostly because I literally did not see this coming just as far as them revolutionizing offense when they drafted him. When you look at the landscape with the AFC right now, with the way Baltimore is playing, with New England maybe potentially taking a step back with their offense being slowed, with Kansas City, with Houston, with all of the, the, these, these teams, what, what is this playoff picture going to look like and what are we getting ready for here in a few weeks? Well, you know, the, the playoffs are going to be amazing. I think the NFC playoffs are going to be like, I don't know who's going to get the sixth seed in the NFC, but if you told me right now the NFC six seed would get to the Super Bowl, I would say, interesting, I could see that, right? Like, let's say it's like the Vikings. Like, okay, I could see that. The AFC is different because the AFC is very, very top-heavy. You know, you have some really good teams like the Ravens, for instance. You have the Patriots, who the record is good. It's not like they played good, but the record is good. You have the Chiefs. And then that's, I mean, maybe the Texans, maybe now the Titans, but that's really it. I mean, it's really those three. So, you know, it is going to be, the AFC title game is going to be an unbelievable showdown. And the seeding matters a lot because those teams are so close that who gets home field could tell a lot. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Talk with Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network. Well, let's talk about the NFC. You mentioned the Vikings. Let's just go to the, the NFC North. How would you kind of evaluate uh, the top tier in that league right now with the Packers and the Vikings and, and what, they could, what they could eventually do this year? Well, I think the Packers have kind of emerged as the class of that division, which is interesting because, you know, I remember when they hired Matt LaFleur and, you know, he had good reviews and I think did a good job in the interview, but it's not like anybody was like, oh, that's a slam dunk hire. And he's done nothing but, you know, reshape that team, turn it into a kind of run-first physical team all around. They got a lot of talent on defense already. He kept the defensive coordinator. That helped. Um, and he's kind of helped solidify them in a way that Mike McCarthy kind of never did. You know, with McCarthy, I always felt like it was, we have Aaron Rodgers and you don't, and so therefore we're going to win. I do not get that sense with these Packers, and maybe that's why, you know, they're not perfect and they're not always pretty, but they do look like a team that is destined for the playoffs, playoff success, I should say. Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network is our guest. Ian, we talked so much before the season, even early in the season, about Cleveland and just how much hype that there was. I, I, I can't believe I, I'm, I'm admitting this. There was even a question that I asked you. I, I still remember, and I'm embarrassed to, to bring it up again, about Cleveland's offense and if they could potentially be what the Rams were last year. Obviously, they're nowhere near that. Uh, what has gone wrong in Cleveland this year? Yeah, I mean, you're not alone in, in thinking that because I think everyone got caught up in the hype of the Cleveland Browns, everyone. Uh, and, you know, it's hard to be a really good quarterback, mainly because if you are good, God forbid you, you know, force defensive coordinators to figure out how to stop you, then what happens is they spend the whole offseason trying to make sure that doesn't happen. And so um, what happens with the Browns is, you know, Baker has some success, Ray Kids has some success. Everyone makes sure that, you know, they don't do that again. And then you have, I mean, that's how you have the sophomore slump, right? So, um, you know, they haven't, it's been a struggle all year. It's all whole year has been a struggle, but um, they still are in position, you know, I don't know about make the playoffs, but they're still in position to be 500. They're still in position to be okay. And they still are a team that is trying to build. So I don't know that anything that happened this year has taken me off the, the point of say, you know, this team is headed in the right direction. Um, when I'm thinking about, Ian, the, the Cleveland Browns, there's another team that I'm thinking about that's kind of gone the other way, and it's so easy when you have just an awful first eight, nine, ten weeks of the year to just mail it in and get that first pick. But the Dolphins are really competitive right now, and it, and it, it feels like the tank mode is completely off. And at one point, you and I were talking about maybe the worst team ever, and now they're, they're, they're competitive. What, what's the feeling in Miami of how they're approaching the, the tail end of this season? Well, you know, Brian Flores told us over and over he's not tanking. The deals they made were literally just about each individual deal, right? Like they just, it was simply just about, we had to do the Tunsil deal because there was so much value. We had to do the Minka deal because he forced his way out and we were able to get a one. Like each deal sort of exists on its own, right? But I guess he's a good coach. The only thing I can come up with, like, he gets his guys to play hard. Everybody hates playing them. If they actually get decent players, they might be okay. And I would also say his viewpoint has been that to win as many games as you can and then worry about the draft later, you know, are they going to have the number one? Probably not. But I'm not sure that they care because they have so many draft picks, they can kind of do whatever they want. Yeah, it's certainly been, been fascinating to watch and, and see, seeing Ryan – 
uh, Fitzpatrick quarterback. That thing. It's it's been it's been interesting. All right, Ian, let's let you go with this Sunday night matchup: Bills Steelers. Who has had the more surprising season based on their circumstances? Oh man, uh, I mean, I, those would be the teams I would pick. Um, I guess probably the Steelers. You know, the Bills. I don't know. I didn't see this coming with the Bills either. Their free agency was so interesting, and they're definitely building just like a physically tough team that I guess maybe sort of we saw this. But the Steelers should not be good. They aren't good. They're really not. Their quarterback is a third stringer. James Conner's barely played. Juju's barely played. You know, their defense is pretty stacked. But they lost some offensive linemen, and all they do is win games. And I guess what we've learned is that Mike Tomlin is pretty good. And I don't think he was going anywhere anyway, but he is clearly not going anywhere anyway. And he might actually end up being coach of the year, which is just an unbelievable situation for Pittsburgh, considering they lost Ben so early. No question. And at eight and five, too, it's, it's been amazing to see them and, and uh, the Bills, too, for that matter. So good matchup tonight on Sunday Night Football. Ian, we'll cut you loose, man. Know you got a game to get to. Thanks so much for being flexible, joining us on Thursday. How about we talk to you in eight days instead of a month? All right, I like that plan. Sounds good, man. Thank you, Ian Rappaport, the NFL Network. Nate, I feel confident that you could have made a play that a NFL wide receiver did not. I like my chances. I, my legs are not terribly functional, but you get me to the spot where Crowder was for the New York Jets a minute ago with a defender not not within 15 yards of him. I like my and chances. Not having to worry really about getting your feet in bounds. I don't, I don't like your get-off time compared to his. No. But your ability to haul that in, I think, I think he could have got it. I got big hands. Yeah, I, I could have gotten it. I think he could have brought that in. Now, I don't know that you make the play that he made on the next play to score the touchdown. Probably not. <laughs> but, yeah, as wide open as you can be, uh, dude just flat drops it. But he does catch a ridiculously tough catch um, on the next snap. And uh, 13-7, got, a, got somewhat of a game. Coming up here in just a second, Teddy Greenstein of the Chicago Tribune and the Big Ten Network will stop by. Also, before we hang up tonight, Lauren Cook-West of Husker Volleyball will stop by. We'll uh, get the update from her on what she saw last week with the two matches at home before heading to Madison, Wisconsin to battle Hawaii tomorrow. And potentially, if the Huskers can get by uh Hawaii tomorrow they'll have either Texas A&M but most likely a third go with the Wisconsin Badgers the fourth overall seed for a trip in the final four in Pittsburgh so we'll talk some Husker volleyball tonight as well of course taking your calls 866-HUSKER-1 866-487-5371 the number to our Woodhouse Auto Family Hotline bringing you more choices and brands locations and service experience the difference purchase with confidence this is Woodhouse but as we always do on Thursday style up Teddy he's originally from New York but now calls the second city his home he prefers seeing a yellow card over an icing call. His choice in pizza is still up for debate. But his knowledge of sports spans from boxing to yachting. Here's the worldly Teddy Greenstein of the Chicago Tribune. And on his birthday, nice enough to give us time on his birthday. Teddy, that, that means we've talked to you on your birthday. We've talked to you when you're not allowed to talk on phones at Augusta. We've talked to you in the Olympics. We've talked to you in Vegas. We've about covered the globe and all of the family holidays. We, yeah. If we haven't gotten you in trouble yet, then nothing ever will. 
Well, I think we got to keep pushing the envelope. There's no <laughs> doubt. You know, maybe I can like do a call from North Korea. <laughs> um, we got to figure something out. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a little out of breath from blowing out 47 candles. That was uh, that was pretty brutal. I was gonna say 27, but you know, um, <laughs> you know, age age is just a number after a certain point. Uh, yeah, it's a big number in my case, but uh, you'll get there one day, my friend. Oh yeah. Uh, well, man, here we go. This is an exciting time of the year. Uh, the the yeah. college football playoff pull is out. The Big Ten bowl games are out. You've submitted your Heisman ballot. This is this is yeah, kind of what we've been waiting for all year. Let's start first with the four teams in the playoff. Any qualms with one, two, three, or four? Uh, zero qualms. Um, you know, I was there in Indianapolis at Lucas Oil covering that game and. Uh, I mean, hopefully you watched it. I'm sure pretty much everyone listening uh, saw it. Amazing how Wisconsin was able to score at the end of the first half. I mean, that was the shocking one. It looked like they were just trying to run it out, and the next thing you know, it's 21-7. And I remember just looking for fun at what the second-half betting line was, and it was Ohio State minus 11. And I remember thinking, like, oof, you know what? If I were betting, I would take Wisconsin because I think, you know, I think Wisconsin's really in this thing. And, of course, that was not the case because no team in America turns it on as quickly as Ohio State does. I mean, that team has this unbelievable ability to just score in bunches and batches so fast, and that's obviously what they did. I mean, a 27 nothing second half was uh, was pretty sensational. They basically shut down uh, Jonathan Taylor in the second half, and, and they've done that. I mean, they – you know, Shea Patterson was four for 24 passing in the second half uh, in that Michigan game, thanks in part to Michigan receivers like dropping a half dozen passes. But, you know, because Ohio State needed to rally, didn't look that impressive. And because LSU pounded the team that the CFP thought was number four, I said this is a complete no-brainer. LSU is number one. Um, that doesn't mean that if they line up on a neutral field next week, I would pick LSU. I think I'd pick Ohio State. But given the criteria they were using, and I figured it was going to be so close between one and two the previous week when they had the Buckeyes number one, I thought this is pretty clear. And it was fun being on Twitter that night because a couple people, one guy from ESPN, like Matt Schick is like, oh, it's a layup for the committee. One, Ohio State, two, LSU. And then somebody replied, uh, dude, you just blew the layup. <laughs> <laughs> so... I thought it was clear, and uh, three was easy, four was easy. Uh, no controversy at all this year. Yeah, it's certainly interesting to see how that played out, especially with the two SEC teams in there the entire year until, of course, the SEC championship game. But uh, so it goes. I mean, to me, the interesting thing is I, th- I feel like this this is a good reason, this is a good example, Teddy, to keep it at four because I think you've got three yeah. championship-quality teams and whoever that fourth team was going to be just kind of in there, right? Utah, Oklahoma, Baylor, Oregon. It was just going to kind of be whoever gets to play LSU. But two and three, that, that, that was a big competition, though. Who was going to be one and who was going to be two to have to match up with Clemson? Isn't this what we're going for? So I'm glad that your question was uh, a little bit wordy because it allowed me to call up my tweet from the other day. And I was looking at this. And I just said, you know what, I I really am open-minded to an eight-team playoff. I certainly understand the benefits, especially, you know, because, look, championship weekend was was certainly not great this year. I mean, Ohio State-Wisconsin was an exhibition game. Ohio State was already in the playoff, and Wisconsin was not going to be it no matter what. Uh, You know, Clemson-Virginia was not an interesting game. There was really not much there. So I certainly understand, uh, you know, the Dan Wetzel plan of just kill off championship week and and start playing the eight-teamers. But to your point, Ben, if you were trying to do what most people think should be done about the playoff, which is five conference champions, 
a group of five, and then two at-larges. Tell me which two you select out of Georgia, Baylor, Wisconsin, Florida, Penn State, Utah, Auburn, Alabama, Notre Dame. Those are nine teams that all have a legitimate claim to one of those top two spots. I mean, so this concept that, well, you've got to prove it on the field. Well, you know what? Sometimes you make it just more complicated and more challenging when you expand a playoff. And, and also what you do is, you know, you're not rewarding teams for having great seasons. I mean, if you all of a sudden say that, you know, let's say uh, Wisconsin is the number seven seed. Well, then, I mean, Wisconsin lost three times. I mean, what's the point of playing those games? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that, you know, those four, five, five, six, seven, and eight would be road games. Um, but if you're still in the playoff after two or three losses, you are inherently watering down the regular season. So everybody who just thinks it's so easy and such a no-brainer to make it eight, I think they should realize, man, it is not. And some years like this, the perfect thing would have been a three-team playoff because there were three teams that separated themselves. And how about the, the, the biggest point that people were leaning to a couple of years ago that non-Power Fives deserve a shot. Well, of all the nine teams, ten teams that you just mentioned, you didn't name one of them. So that wouldn't solve that problem either. Well, I mean, so in that scenario, I was going to say you'd, you'd have the highest ranked um, you know, non-Power Five, which would have been a what, Memphis? Yeah, Memphis, Boise State, somebody like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think, look, I think if you're going to do an eight-team playoff, I mean, one of the, I, I think you have to accomplish two objectives. I think one of those objectives is that you know, you have at least one team from the five major conferences. And I think the other objective is that you have a one non-Power 5 team, just as a, you know, a carrot for all those schools, plus as a way to sort of get um, the lawmakers and, and whoever else, uh, you know, might fight you for that off your back. So I think you'd have to do those two things, and then you'd have two at-large. But it's just extremely complicated to pick at-large teams. I mean, I think everybody would have – pushed for Georgia, even though Georgia had just gotten spanked, yeah. you know, Saturday night. Yeah, no question about it. It's it's an interesting debate, and it's going to keep happening. It will, and even if it expands, it's going to keep happening. Uh, should we go back to four? Should we expand, expand it even more? It's just an ever, never-ending debate. Talking with our boy yeah. Teddy Greenstein here on Sports Nightly. All right, Teddy, uh, you didn't have any qualms about the top four. Do you have any qualms about – the Heisman, the the finalists, two Buckeyes, no Jonathan Taylor, no Chuba Hubbard. What what do you think of the panel representing in New York? Yeah, no Chuba, no no JT, no J, J.K. Dobbins. Um, so I'm not allowed to reveal my ballot until uh, Saturday. It breaks, but but what I can tell you is, first of all, <laughs> Joe Burrow should win this unanimously. So I think that'll probably clue you into my very controversial <laughs> top spot, and then. I considered four players for my second and third spots. And those are the three Buckeyes, meaning Chase Young, Fields, and J.K. Dobbins, and Jonathan Taylor, um, four Big Ten players. You know, I, I lean to the Big Ten whenever possible. And, you know, I watched Jalen Hurts play against Baylor and was kind of like, eh, I, I just don't think he's that amazing. Obviously, he had ridiculous numbers early in the season that had some big games with turnovers. So among those four, uh, I can tell you, I think it was really hard. And, you know, I was all on Chase Young, you know, after watching him sack Wisconsin four times and Penn State three times, but he did not have much of a presence in the Michigan game. The effort was pretty questionable on some plays. Also had very little to do with the Wisconsin game. So, 
you know, some of it is team scheming against him, but other uh, also it's just kind of a lack of effectiveness. So he, I think, looked like a better candidate two games ago. Uh, Jonathan Taylor has fumbling problems um, that, you know, sometimes the guys who pump him up just fail to mention. Fumbling is a big deal as a running back, and uh, that's part of why they lost the Illinois game. It's part of why they lost last year's Northwestern game. So as amazing as he is, that can't be overlooked. Justin Fields had a, a just unbelievable season, as you well know, Ben. Uh, 40 touchdowns, one pick, 10 rushing touchdowns. Um, an amazing, amazing player. So, you know, that could certainly be justified. And I feel like J.K. Dobbins might be a little overlooked. I mean, I, you know, I only saw Ohio State's like really big games at the end of the season, but that guy is an incredible football player, especially when they needed him the most. Yeah, really hard to, to imagine where Ohio State would be without him, even with the season that – that Justin Fields had. I mean, he, he yeah. he's a tremendous, tremendous player. All right, uh, there are plenty of games that are going to be talked about a lot this bowl season, the, the semifinals, Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin. Those games are all uh, you know, going to be talked about a lot and going to have a lot of attention. But is there any other games in, involving Big Ten teams that you're curious about to see if a team like yeah. Indiana can go hang with Tennessee, to see Minnesota, are they going to have a, a blow up against Auburn like Purdue did? Is there any other team that kind of has your attention? Yeah, I was remembering that one last year as the uh, I think Purdue was my lock of the bowl season. <laughs> <laughs> what was the score after like eight minutes? Was I think it, it was like 8,046 to four or something like that. <laughs> it was so embarrassing for all of us who thought Purdue was going to win. Um, there are definitely a lot of interesting uh, Big Ten games. Marginally interesting is uh, Illinois and the Red Box Bowl basically playing a road game against Cal. Let's see if uh, – Lovey's crew can pick up the pieces after getting completely waxed by Northwestern. I don't know what the heck was going on with those guys. Um, yeah, Minnesota Auburn. It would obviously be tremendous if Minnesota can win that game. You know, that's one of those like for all those clowns who say, "Oh, bowl games don't matter." Like that's a really important game because if you're Minnesota, you don't want to lose because then you've lost three of your final four games. You know, you're out of the top twenty-five. Kind of a, a lot of the things that teams take pride in. Uh, obviously, Michigan, Alabama is is fascinating yes. to see who will choose to play. And you know, so many Michigan players in the last couple of years have decided to beg out. And on the one hand, I understand it, and on the other hand, I don't understand it because you you can't be constantly scared of of injuries. Um, you, you play for your brothers. Uh, you know, you, you want to tell me that ten years from now you're not going to remember if you beat Nick Saban and Alabama in a bowl game? Of course you will. So. Uh, I understand if you're, you know, if, if you're a little banged up, if you are, are so confident you're going to be a first or second round pick in the NFL draft. There certainly are circumstances where you want to sit out, but but for a guy who thinks he's going to be a six round pick to say, nah, I'm just going to hang it up. I mean, I think that's absurd. Uh, Oregon, Wisconsin, um, somewhat interesting Rose Bowl, always a good setting, and absolutely that'd be nice for Indiana. Um, if they can take down an SEC team, that's certainly, I think, something I always root for Big Ten when they play an SEC. I bet you do, too. Yeah, no question about it. I'm excited for it. I can't wait for uh, you know the Big Ten Bulls to get underway, or Bulls in general. Uh, it's always a fun time of the year. And, of course, Heisman Ceremony coming up this week. Teddy Greenstein from the Chicago Tribune. All right, man, we've taken enough time on your birthday. Go enjoy your, uh, your 27th. Go have a piece of – what's your dessert of choice? What do you go with? Well, my, my favorite dessert is tiramisu, okay. and I think this place does have it. Have you had tiramisu? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, isn't it delicious? It's great. Yeah. I, I've got to be I, in a very – I don't want to be like specific mood, but I'm either feeling it or I'm not, but when I'm feeling it, I want to take some down for sure. 
I think it's cool because it's like different at every single restaurant. Everybody has their own ter- interpretation. It's like, you know, if you order a cheesecake, it's basically yeah. going to be the same, but tiramisu, uh, you know, has some variety. I kind of like that. Well, let's hope this place uh, is on the mark with it and you and you leave there satisfied. As uh, I can only hope and as, as satisfied as I leave this interview. <laughs> Teddy, appreciate it, man. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Teddy Greenstein of the Chicago Tribune. Welcome back, Sports Nightly, here on the Husker Sports Network on a Thursday night. About a half hour left in our program. Thanks to everybody for dialing us up. We've already hit on one Husker sport in Bloomington. We go to Madison, Wisconsin for the next. And we welcome on to the program now Lauren Cook-West. will be on the call this weekend for Nebraska Volleyball, starting first with Hawaii. Lauren, we had John last week, and I'm superstitious. Huskers went 2-0. I hope you're okay with joining us once again. Of course I am. I always love talking. Whether it's you or Greg, then I'm just happy to talk to either one of you. Well, I'm superstitious, and I know Coach Cook, you know, would appreciate my efforts and, you know, trying to replicate what happened last week. From your standpoint, what did you see last week from the Huskers? I thought overall they did they did pretty well. I mean, it's your season's on the line, so they definitely stepped up to the plate and uh, were able to make it out of that Missouri match. I was a little – my heart rate was a little high during that match, but Missouri's a good team, and I honestly think they probably should have been ranked based on how they played against us. And, again, it's – you know, everyone gives Nebraska their best shot, and especially this time of the year, but – I think uh, we're we're still waiting to go to another level. This team is is talented, and we've seen bits and pieces of the level that they can play at throughout the season, but they just haven't been there consistently for an entire match. And if uh, if the time to do it is against Hawaii, you know, I don't I don't want to overlook uh, to Saturday to Wisconsin, but I think a lot of people are doing that. But, you know, they have to show up first against Hawaii on Friday and take care of business there. And then uh, Wisconsin has to do the same. They have a lot of pressure. They're playing at home. They're trying to, you know, there's a regional final there. They're trying to make the final four. So they they could slip up against Texas A&M. You never know. But I'm I'm hoping that the Huskers will play to the, the, the level that they can uh, this weekend so they can get make it to the final four. You've been around your, your dad, playing coaching you've been around volleyball a long time and sports a long time to where it's not okay to look ahead but here's a little broadcasting and media secret we're allowed to we get to do that so <laughs> so I know your your dad wouldn't be happy that 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 would be the case but you know you are officially allowed to do that now without getting in trouble so that that that's that's a good thing um will you know better than anybody what what it's like to play this time of year in this tournament uh, the pressure, the nerves. How do you feel like specifically, you know, the newcomers, Matty Kubik, handled this type of stage, something that they're they're maybe not quite used to, or or at least at least you know knowing that one loss and your season's over. Yeah, I think it's almost. I think t- in talking with Maddie and Kenzie, who are kind of the two young ones on the team, the two freshmen. Um, but still remember, you know, Nicklin's only a sophomore. Lexi, this is just her second year at Nebraska. And so there are some younger players. But in talking with them, they told me that they were actually more nervous going into the Big Ten uh, conference play than they were the tournament. Wow. So, and I think then it's, this is why it's so great that we play in the Big Ten. And people are probably like, oh, why are you saying that? Because it's such a difficult conference to play in. And, you know, maybe we could win more conference championships if we were in an easier conference. But I think the Big Ten prepares these girls for postseason play. So they get to the tournament and they're thinking, you know, we just survived the Big Ten. 
also this is a cakewalk because you know you're starting off with teams that are probably a little less um, talented than teams in the Big Ten. So you know those first couple matches are, are pretty easy, but then you're ready for it back to back nights and, and you're playing top level competition and in, in regionals. So they told me that they were more nervous for the Big Ten, and that it it shocked me, but it also didn't at the same time because um, it's you know. We hype up the Big Ten and, and trying to win a championship and, and trying, you know, how difficult that conference is to play in. And Coach Cook talks about that all the time. So I really just think that they're they're not going to play with any nerves. And I really didn't see any nerves this past weekend. And so, again, I just think it's uh, it's tournament time and, and they're ready to go and they just want to win. You mentioned uh, Nicklin already just being a sophomore, but uh, it was pretty clear from the get-go she was going to be one of the leaders of this team, and, and obviously Lauren Stiverens is one of the few players that's been around uh, for a long time and, and been a part of Nebraska's making runs in the postseason. How has their leadership turned a corner more so in the last month to two months in preparation for this moment? So I think setters always kind of have have to carry some leadership with them, I and mean, they're running the offense, and um, with that comes leadership, and, and you have to understand – you know how each hit, what how what each hitter needs from a set standpoint and from feedback and and communication throughout the match. So I look a little more towards Lauren because I think she's more of the vocal leader. And um, if you look at her, I mean, been in timeouts uh, from the sideline. If she's on the court, this team respects her. They trust her. They look to her in those tight situations, and and you can you can always see her. She's she's talking to the girls. She's cheering them on, even if she's not on the court. She is on the court. She's getting them fired up. And so, um, I think Nicklin and Lauren both bring something different. And, and Nicklin, even though Nicklin is uh, pretty vocal and has a lot to say and a lot of emotions to express, uh, I think she's kind of more of the quiet, silent leader. And and everyone knows that she's out there, kind of running the offense, and and that's her job. But um, Lauren's really the vocal leader, and I think that's really come out uh, this season, and, and we've really seen that. And it's it's just cool to watch her because they both remember they were both not captains last year, and Coach Cook worked with them this off season, and they've just kind of blossomed into these these leaders, and that's it's neat to see. You kind of started by telling us you think this team still has another gear, still has another level. What do they have to do this weekend to get there? Honestly, it's all serve and pass, and or serving and passing. We call it the serve and pass game. And uh, it's if you've listened to radio broadcast, it's every time I JB always asks me for keys of the match before every single match, and I've said it before every single match this entire season is they have to win that serve and pass battle. And if you're serving tough, you're getting opposing teams out of system, which then sets up your block and defense in better position. So you have if if an opposing team is out of system. It's going to be a slower-tempoed offense that they're running, a more predictable offense that they're running because they probably can't run their middles. So you have time to get your block there and then set up your defense around your block. And then if you're passing well, we've seen how good Nicklin is in system. If she doesn't have to move, she's getting hitters in one-on-one situations, meaning they only have one block up. Sometimes there's not even a block up. She's so deceptive. Um, and then she's also putting them in, in – she's not stressed because she's not having to run around. And even though she's a great bump setter, she's not having to run around and try to save balls. She can just dish those balls out of her hands and put it right on the money for those attackers. So then your offense is thriving as well as your defense. And so those are the two big keys. And I think if, if they're able to do both of those consistently, um, then 
they I think they're going to make it to the final four. But Wisconsin is a tough gym to play in. I know Hawaii is a very good serving team. Wisconsin is as well. Um, and then both pass really well because Hawaii, it's a bunch of beach players, so they know how to ball handle. And Wisconsin, uh, they're, they have Tiffany Clark. She's a senior libero, and, and she's very talented. So it'll be tough to do it, but if they can, uh, they're like I said, I think they're going to win this weekend. It should be a lot of fun to see how this thing rolls out there. Uh, obviously, two very tough challenges ahead of Husker Volleyball. They want to make the Final Four in Pittsburgh. Lauren Cook-West will be on the call tomorrow with John Baylor. Lauren, we appreciate it. Thanks for stopping by and go get us a couple wins, will you? <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Pray for me that my uh, my heart rate stays low and hopefully I don't have to be visited by any paramedics or anything. I, I feel like in some of these big matches, it's so much more difficult to watch from the sidelines. So I always joke and tell JB, if I pass out, call 911 and get someone up here to come rescue me. <laughs> well, I'm not going to be there to calm you down this time. It wasn't that long ago that we were in Kansas City kind of freaking out together. Yeah, I, w- I think I was hitting you throughout the match. You probably had bruises, you poor thing. <laughs> Rightfully so. Hey, the bruises and the ball I took in the face and the warm-ups of the next match was worth it uh, on that five-set win against Penn State, no doubt. Lauren, thanks so much. Go have some fun thanks, this weekend. Ben. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lauren Cook-West. That, that, that was my first volleyball to the face experience. Oy. So we were, um, we were sitting on the floor, Sprint Center, right? Huskers. Mm-hmm. And Penn State just wrapped up one of the most epic matches of Nebraska volleyball history. Mm-hmm. Huskers one and five, and Florida and Stanford uh, are on the floor to play after us. And I- I'm like, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm in my computer, I'm packing my stuff up, and you know when they the other teams warm up, they warm up, you know, side side parallel to the net, line, yeah. yeah, parallel to the net. Well, they're doing their spike drills, and one must have got away or something because huh. I took a rocket like right in the face. And you know, like when you get hit hard enough in the nose, like your body's instant reaction is your eyes to start watering. Right. right? Yeah. And so like, I'm like walking out of there to go interview, to go in our locker room and interview a uh, cook and a player. And like, my eyes are watering, My <laughs> face is all red. I'm like, I don't even care. Just <laughs> beat Penn state in five. And I don't care. Um, but yeah, big, big challenge for the Huskers this weekend. It's kind of hard not to look past Hawaii, right? Yeah, it's I mean, tough. It, I mean, Nebraska by seeding and everything else should win, but I mean, Hawaii's gotten this far for a reason. And then you think about what's looming ahead with Wisconsin and and the number they've had on Nebraska this year. It, it's tough to take them one match at a time, and good Lord willing, things will work out. But that's the challenge on this Husker team. I'm sure John Cook has kept them locked in on the Hawaii match tomorrow and probably not even said the word Wisconsin. Yeah, well, should be a great uh, great weekend for Husker volleyball, uh, regardless of, of what happens. But uh, got a good test with Hawaii, and then hopefully uh, round three goes better with uh, with Wisconsin if they do indeed get that opportunity. But appreciate Lauren Cook-West for stopping by the program here tonight.